everyone, you are listening to Que Sera Sera with me, Sarah Ann Lalonde. I am a brand new teacher sharing my journey into education with the world, all while promoting risk-taking in the classroom and in your professional life. Enjoy this episode. You're listening to episode 57 with Daniel Melchior, living the dream from Sudbury, Canada to Florence, Italy. Woohoo! Good morning. I'm going to call this the Sarah and Daniel morning coffee show. Like I feel like we could be radio show hosts together and we're just like here. It is a, well, on my end, it's like a rainy Tuesday morning, but we are going to hopefully brighten up. Unlike, unlike the weather outside, we are going to... So we're all hunky-dory, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to bright up brighten up the conversation on my end. Um, I have someone here who I've known for a few years now when I was thinking back about how long ago I had met Daniel and, you know, the the baggage that we have together. We met each other in university at Laurentian. Um, and if you want to go check out Daniel's podcast, I had a conversation with him and one of his good friends, Connor, um, a lot of episodes ago, like many, many decades ago, it seems like now. Yeah, because now Daniel is starting his second year teaching abroad. I don't even want to give anything away. I just want Daniel to kind of explain (laughs) where he's at, what he's doing, how he got there. And the reason why I have him on the podcast today um, is because he is so passionate about what he's doing. And that is why he is here. Previously, before this conversation, we spent an hour just talking about history because he has almost become like my mentor in teaching my history class oh, <laughs> this oh, September. So, oh. yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's just for you, Daniel. So I was like, hey, you got to be on the podcast. And here we are. Yeah. Hey, Daniel. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Fantastic. I'm drinking my So much better now. So Yay. good. Coffee in hand on a podcast with you. What more can you ask for for a Tuesday afternoon in August? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, yes. It's um it's it's been a very busy month. So I'm glad I can take a break and have a coffee and just chat. So this is fantastic. It's my favorite thing. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Oh, I don't know what where to, to begin. Where to begin? So where are you teaching? Because we haven't we haven't told our guests yet. So I'll just like let you explain the situation. I'm about to make everyone jealous. I know. <laughs> I am a senior uh, social studies teacher at a Canadian private school in Florence, Italy. Um, the heart yeah! of the heart of Italy. Yes, I'll take everyone to take a moment and steep that in. And yeah. <laughs> insert just like a huge sigh because nothing will ever ever compare to that i'm living my dream kids i'm living my dream you Uh, are living the dream um so i don't know i know it's literally my dream because i said it but maybe my first year university i took two courses through laurentian and we went to florence italy and we lived there for a good month uh, taking courses with our university profs and I, by the end of the course, I said, 
I'm going to move here one day and I'm going to teach here one day. So it's literally my dream. So I'm, I'm very, very honored to be able to do it. I love that because I, one of the questions I had actually written down a couple of questions that I wanted to ask you. And one of them was what were your goals and aspirations leaving teacher's college? Because I never knew that you had taken those two classes. I knew that you had went abroad, but I didn't know it was to Florence. And I didn't know that that was essentially your goal. So did you do any like supply teaching or teaching like in Sudbury or in Ontario before you went to Florence, like other than your placement? I did my placements. I did a little bit of supply work, um, but not through the boards. It sort of be like emergency circumstances that a, a, a school needed someone to come in. So I'm like, okay, why not? I'll come in. Um, but yeah. before I moved to Italy, I was doing a lot of other things. So when I left Teachers College, I always knew I wanted to go abroad. I didn't want to stay in Sudbury um, because Sudbury is very small peanuts and and I'm, I'm not. I hey, don't, I that's well. big compared to where I'm from. That's true, but <laughs> I tune well uh, small peanuts kind of um, towns. Um, although I love Sudbury, bottom of my heart, I can't live here for the rest of my life. So I was, I'm going to find something across the world. Um, but in that same breath, I was also doing other things here. So on top of doing teacher's college and looking for teaching jobs, I ran different, I ran my own business. I ran a marketing business and I was doing marketing work, um, theater producer. So I was doing all these other things after I left teacher's college and sort of just when it, when it came to fruition that I was able to move to Italy, I had to just leave everything behind. So I wasn't really teaching in that span of mm-hmm. teaching to Italy. But you had lots of like other commitments. Did those ever hold you back? Like, did you ever second guess yourself moving, like having to drop everything in Sudbury? No, because all of all of my university career, I was juggling six different hats, right? So um, I was studying, I was working, I was vice president of the student union. I was running three different clubs. I was doing all this different stuff, writing a thesis kind of stuff. So I knew I could multitask. So while I'm still in Italy, I still do my theater producer gig. You know what I mean? So I still do all of that while I'm there. I still do a lot of marketing stuff while I'm there. It's just, I'm not physically here in Sudbury to do it. Hmm. I love it. And Daniel, he was explaining kind of like what uni life was like for him. But even if he was wearing all of these different hats, I can attest to say that anytime that you walk by Daniel, it was like, you couldn't even tell that he was busy because he always had the biggest smile, biggest hello, the wave, like he was working as a, was it a barista, like at the LU Voyager coffee shop. And I would see him all the time, give me my coffee. He's just a rock star. Ooh. Just a rock star. So how did you get to, like, what was the process like? So you just graduated teacher's college and bam, they hired you. Like, you applied. What was that like? I moved in November. So I graduated teacher's college in in May, May, June. Um, And I worked at the theater doing my marketing stuff in that meantime. But when it came to November, I had seen... um, I had applied to, um, so the school I work at is, is Blythe Academy, and it's a big private school system down in the Toronto area and Southern Ontario. And they have a big global program as well, so students can 
go to different countries and take a, a couple um, Ontario courses and come back. Um, so I had applied down to one of the Toronto campuses and they didn't have any openings, but they said, we see that you're an Italian citizen on your resume. We opened this school. It's its first year open. They need, we need the social study. We need the social studies teacher to be school because you're in Florence. You need a history teacher. Um, and basically my, uh, my headmaster, uh, Gary was literally taking on the task of headmaster and teaching the courses that the social studies teacher was supposed to be teaching at the same time because they didn't have anyone yet. Mm-hmm. They said, why don't just send your, send your resume to, to Gary and, and we'll see what goes. So that was, that was my process. All, all it was, was a redirect kind of thing. And Gary pulled through. Gary pulled through. Gary, um, yes, Gary pulled through. I have to do a shout out to Dominic Drew, of course. Um, oh, yes. I know. Plus Dominic Drew. Uh, because Gary and Dominic knew each other and Dominic was my main reference on my resume. And um, who was Dominic for those who are not from Sudbury or not from Laurentian and have no idea who he is? Uh, Dominic Drew used to be the president of the Laurentian University. Um, Heck yeah. That's Daniel's main reference. Look at <laughs> president. Chancellor. Uh, so he was my main reference, and they knew each other from an educational board down down in southern Ontario at some point. Um, and Gary, I guess, phoned Dominic before he even phoned me, and sort of <sighs> I was kind of tired before <laughs> before I even got to interview. So it was, I guess, I got a really good reference. Yeah, you think? <laughs> <laughs> You heard yeah. it here, kids. Go and uh, you know be friends with the president of your yes, university. Why, why you best to uh, to get in touch with your uh, president. Oh, that's me. Yeah, all good. <laughs> so you packed up, and in your head, what are you thinking that you need to bring? You're going oh. to teach in Florence, Italy. I had three weeks to pack up my life, and three weeks. I had three weeks to close my business, three weeks to quit my jobs, three weeks to like get, get, <laughs> it was a little ridiculous. Um, I brought three suitcases with me, two carry-ons and a backpack. I literally packed up my entire closet and moved. Um, nice. I um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't bring a lot of, I had to make sure I brought my Google home because Georgia, my, my life. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I <laughs> Is that funny to you? Come on. Yeah, it's just but, awesome. Georgia, the Google Home. Um, she helps me out. She tells me where I'm supposed to go during the day sometimes. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I had to bring, but mainly was my my wardrobe. That was my that was my. I, I figured. I figured. You got to look the part, right? Absolutely. Jeez. So did they um, give you like a place to stay? And you talked a little bit about not on the podcast, but like a housing allowance. Like if somebody, let's say, would is looking to do the program like that you're doing or, you know, go and teach about like what do they give you? Usually when you. Other than a salary. <laughs> <laughs> Usually when you get a um, an international teaching job especially if you're from Canada, they will usually give you a housing allowance that goes with your, um, your salary. 
Um, in my case, they were offering me a, a uh, an actual apartment that I could stay in for the year. I said, the they had to describe where the area was, and I was familiar with Florence. I was, I was like, I'd rather find my own place. If you can give me a house, housing allowance, I'll find my own place, and I will stay in the center, and I will be happy with that kind of thing. So I can pay a little bit more if I wanted to to have a nicer place or the place that I wanted. Right. Yeah. Okay. I know I know friends that moved to Egypt to teach and moved to Saudi Arabia to teach. So they actually were given like housing allowances as well. So if hmm. you're getting a job internationally, always ask about housing and housing allowances. Yeah, for sure. I can imagine that that might be a little stressful for you. Luckily, you knew the area. So I guess it's a little bit easier. But, you know, if you're just moving to a new country, a new city, it's and another tip overwhelming. Or moving to a new city or a new country or wherever for teaching, do as much research as possible on this place. Have like find as many like there's so many blogs that will tell you about the hidden gems in in these places. Look those up. Look everything up. Know the different parts of the city. You'll get to used to it when you get there. But knowing ahead of time when you're going will make so much difference. Yeah. Did you know anybody there? Like you have family in Florence or somewhere else? I have family outside of Rome. So okay. I knew I had someone close by if I needed help. But in Florence, mm-hmm. no, I all the friends that I made <laughs> so many years yeah. weren't there anymore. So I was but it wasn't quick before I made friends. So Of course. I wanna ask you, do you remember your first day of teaching? Oh my god. At at my Florence, okay. Um, do I remember my first day of teaching? I do, I do for sure. I remember first getting there. We have an espresso machine in the lounge, so I made myself. <laughs> I uh, okay. I met all my colleagues um, and instantly made best friends and and such. Uh, and walked up to my nice big giant classroom and stood on my balcony, drank my coffee. My kids sat down and I sort of just popped in and go, hey, kids. <laughs> and all these little kids that have never seen me before, these big tens have never seen this person before, popped out of the balcony and went, hey, kids. And they're all startled. They're, they all have deer caught in the headlights. <laughs> and um, and then it was like bonding ever, ever since. It was bonding. Yes. So I remember that first day, there was not much teaching that went on. It was more of teaching the kids about me and Sudbury. Mm-hmm. Did you do any like fun ways to introduce them to to yourself and where you came from? Yes, I have a whole slideshow. It has my Bitmoji in it. Um, yes. <laughs> my Bitmoji just follows me along in this whole slideshow. And then I do a whole tour of Sudbury. Show them the big nickel and all the fun stuff about Sudbury. They don't believe That's me. About awesome. That. Did you have them do like presentations for like where they're from? They do. So I, I, I get them to do because it's an international school. Yeah. I have not just from Florence, not just from Canada, but from all around Europe and around the world. Um, so I got them to do a little thing about themselves. Um, I let them like when I do my presentation, I give them like questions. Really, like, give me whatever question you want. I'll answer anything barring a couple. So <laughs> I had her. And they don't they. My to my surprise, they did not ask 
any questions really. I think I got three questions out of the whole day, out of all my grade 11 classes, and grade 12 classes, and grade 10 classes. I got three questions, I think. So, so in was, your first year, what classes were you teaching? So my first year, I teach, I still teach some of these classes. So grade 10 at our school, our, our school is split up into two sections. Grade 9 and 10 is our junior section, and they study IGCSE courses. So this is the UK curriculum, but for international schools. Grade 11 and 12 take the Ontario courses. Um, and so when they graduate, they have IGCSE credits if they choose to take the IGCSE standard exams. If they choose to, they don't have to. And by the end, when they graduate, they will have an Ontario diploma, which is very valued in the world. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I taught grade the grade 10s, uh, their IGCSE history, which is sort of like grade 10 Ontario history, but a little bit more European focused. Um, and it goes from First World War to the Gulf War. So that's that was that course. I also taught um, international business. Um, I'm trying to remember the course code, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, international business. Um, my favorite course was uh, European history from the 15th century. CHY for you. Yes. <laughs> um, That's the passion. That's what I love about oh you. Oh my God, I love this course. And what was my last course? Economics. Grade 12 economics. Love it. Right? Where does that one fall on your favorite course list? Um, math is involved, so it's not really on my <laughs> How did you even prepare yourself to teach all of these classes? It just it just shows up sometimes that economics and then just it just happens and then, then I get rid of it as soon as possible because it's math's not my favorite. I like the theory behind economics. Why would we do purchasing opportunity cost? I love that stuff, but when the actual math comes in, it's sort of like kill me now kind of thing. Um how did I prepare for these courses? Yeah. You Lots know, because of- I'm preparing for my courses. And so I'm reaching out to a whole bunch of, you know, experts, in my opinion, to help me build my my classes. But what did you do to – I know that you are already the expert in most of these things, but <laughs> what, what did you do, Daniel? <laughs> expert. Um, so for history, I don't really have to prepare too much because – that is my specialization is European history. Don't have to prepare really a lot. I just have to prep my courses, get my lesson plans and such ready. Um, but stuff like international business and economics, um, I pick these courses up. So when we, we have this discussion at the end of the year of which courses we would like to be teaching, we sort of tailor them so that they fit what we're strongest at kind of thing. So like international business, I understand the European markets because I'm an Italian citizen. So I understand the European market, the Canadian market. I can I have that worldview yep. and owning a business gave me that, that sort of insight on how businesses think in this kind of market. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with economics. Owning a business helps me um, understand things. And with economics, I always joke where economics is a mix between history and business. So I have the best of both worlds. Um, but usually going through the curriculum and looking at everything, I just have to refresh myself on a few topics while I'm 
building my courses so that I understand it fully if there's any questions coming up. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes there's there's a lot of um, research that have to, has to go in, but not usually not a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, good for you. I'm. It's just really. I enjoy watching you be yourself. And I think that the students can also appreciate you as a teacher. So how have (laughs) you kind of bonded or how have students just reacted to you as a teacher and like your style of teaching and all that fun stuff? So I guess starting with my style of teaching, um, I set up my style of teaching more. I was like a like conversation kind of thing where I'll lecture with them. I have a PowerPoint. We talk. We do some, if we do some interactive stuff, we do some interactive stuff. But afterwards, it's more of a, a discussion. Let's talk about what we just learned. Let's make sure we all understand it. Um, a lot of times I'll sort of like drop the big, I, I give them um, GTQ, so like guarantee test questions. Mm. Those are fun. Um, but sort of like, we just learned something and I'll say, let's assume, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, wiggle, wiggle, that this question might, wink, wink, be on your exam, wink, wink. Um, and I am giving you 10 points for this question. How would you answer it? Or what are the main things that you need to have in that question or in that answer to get those 10 points? And we'd have this whole like round table and I'd sit there in the front with my fingers and I just like name off like fingers as they would give me the right answers. Mm. We have those little sessions. Those are fun. That's fun. Uh, and I guess I'm very open with my students. So if they have any questions about really anything in the world, I will probably answer it. Um, and then my my classroom is decorated like my personality. Like I have a pride flag proudly flying on my desk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have like photos of my family and my friends on my desk. I have gold stars, like literally like they're like statues of <laughs> gold stars everywhere. Um, do you have a picture cut out of yourself? Did you I say did, you had that? I did joke that I was going to get uh, <laughs> one of the artists on the street to paint a picture of me and I would have it framed and put it in my classroom and the kids would pray to me if okay. they're having troubles. But I didn't. I might do it when I get back because I have a week to prep my courses and my classes while I'm there. So I might do that. Um, but- you have to. <laughs> you're you're kind of my- committed now. That is my I joke like that sometimes during classes. So I'll I'll say like if you have any problems, email me or just pray to me at the side of your bed, and let's hope the test tomorrow goes well. Uh, <laughs> That's the spirit. Like let's hope this goes well, everybody. Let's hope you study. And then sort of in the morning while I'm walking past the two students that are smoking on the corner because it is Italy, you're walking past them, and I have like the the same comment every morning. Boys, you got to quit. Two, did you study? And they both look at me with these big eyes like, mm, not really. I go, okay. And I'll just sort of walk away. Go, okay. Thanks, you guys. <laughs> um, sometimes you just get hope in the morning. It's just fantastic. And yeah, I don't know. I, there's a lot of things that I do during the day. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are a lot of things. One thing you said, though, is that you – are very open with your students. And I think that's so important for like any, I was just, I was going to say new teachers, but I just think any teachers to be open with their students because 
I feel as though back in the day when we were students, our teachers were very like closed off. Like it was hard to have a relationship teacher student with them because you didn't really know much about your teacher. The fact that when we were students, it was hard to have a relationship with our teachers because they were more like closed off and it wasn't as important for teachers to like build relationships and do the, you know, the get to know you, like you you say that you you do with your students. So I think it's awesome that the new the new wave of teachers coming in are open and are there to have conversations. And it's just I feel as though when you take the time to get to know your students and have your students get to know you, it's so much easier with those relationships, like that foundation already built to Mm -hmm. teach the content that you need to teach because that's, you like build respect. um, And it's just kind of like an easy, like transition into like, okay, now like let's talk about the content. Let's get it, you know, do the deep dives into whatever we need to do and students actually respect you and want to listen and you know know that you're not gonna like bite their heads off if they ask a silly question or whatever it is you know what i mean i might give them some sass if it's a silly question but i won't bite (laughs) um you're known for that that's just who you are so and i'll give them this look like really (laughs) (laughs) Um, really i think and also part of it is i think i have I, i have this obligation in my head that because i'm the youngest teacher that I should be open with these students. Like they have, I'm the youngest, um, I guess I think of myself and my, my colleague Talia, we think of ourselves as twins because we are the exact same person. She's just a girl, I'm just a guy. So I think of us as like one person. So she's 26, I'm 24. And then the next youngest teacher is I think 32 or 34. Mm-hmm. So we see ourselves as like, we have the young kids in the school, we sort of have this obligation in our head like we should be open with our students and they need to have someone to talk to kind of thing where they're not going to feel like there's like decades between them kind of thing. Like it's only six years. Like students are usually just six years younger than me. So do you find that hard though? Do you find that like a difficult age gap? Do you find it too small? When, when you're, when you have that age gap now, I think I will, I won't realize in a couple years, I think when I'm maybe 20, close to 30, that won't be an issue. But because I'm so young, they, mm-hmm. a lot of times students will see you more as like you're teetering between friend and teacher kind of thing. And yeah. you have to like put your foot down. And you're like, hi, I'm your teacher. Don't be, don't be pulling crap with me kind of thing. Yeah. Even though we're like, we're the young kids, we're the young teachers, <laughs> don't pull crap with us. So we're cool and hip, but like we don't take it. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a lot of times we have to we have to put our foot down because they're again, it's also the 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 environment that we're teaching in is that it's a very affluent private school. You know what I mean? So because it's such an affluent private school, the kids and their parents pay to go to the school, they pay for these classes, they pay mm-hmm. to get a, a degree faster. So in Italy, high school is five years our school gives their degree in four. You know what I mean? Okay. So kids are paying big bucks to get out of school faster. A lot of times they have it in their head, like we own the school, so we can really do a lot of what we want. And And how do you deal with that? Oh, it's a lot of putting them, 
either put the realization that you didn't pay for the school, your parents did, or um, that's usually the sassy answer first. Um, <laughs> and then... <laughs> What? Usually, the, the if someone says, we pay for this, and I'll look at them, did you or did your parents pay for this? And they'll go, <laughs> oh my God, that's what I thought. Um, and then, so it's also like, I don't know, it's, you have to put your foot down and sort of say, you're still in a school. You still have to do the work to get the degree. I can't just, like, give you a degree. You have to do the work. And a lot of times we have in our classrooms, we have it posted. We're like, you give yourself the grade. I don't give it to you kind of thing. Yeah. It's all that accountability, right? Like, Yeah. And so a lot of times, and and I think we talked about this when I was giving you some history tips before was Mm -hmm. I don't structure my, um, my classes, especially the grade 12 one as a regular, like high school class. I structure them more like a university class where I give them a reading schedule. I give them the whole course outline, the whole, this is when every project do, this is all the projects that are going to happen. Sort of, you have the power. You oh, have yeah. your two things. I'm not going to sit here and baby you. This is a university prep course. I'm going to be prepping you for this kind of thing. And I think as a student, you know, if I were to sit in that class and I was, you know, their age and you were my teacher and I wouldn't see the value in what you were doing, I'd be like, oh, he's so, you know, like, I hate this. I hate this reading schedule. I hate everything. Mm. But they don't even know the value of what you're, you know, giving them, like preparing them for university because like we, I, I feel like we just came out of university. Like we did. Okay. Um and we know what it's like in, in this day and age and having you almost like simulate that where the stakes aren't necessarily as high, but mm-hmm. they still get the feel of like, okay, is this what I want? Is this, you know, for me, can I handle this? And they can start making good choices and, you know, like creating good work habits so that the transition to, you know, university will be so much easier. Yeah. And and a lot of times when I say that I'm, prepping you for university you always get those one or two students that go i'm not going to university i'm going to do this or i'm going to do that and then you have to give back the response of okay if you're not then you'd be prepared to be if you ever choose to go to university or you'll probably be be a step ahead of the people that are wherever you are because a lot of times college it's not set up like university course you know what i mean so i'm giving you extra tools that you might not need Oh, well, help you along the way. Mm-hmm. And they give you this like, oh, okay. And then go back. <laughs> Maybe he does know what he's talking about. He's young, but he's good. <laughs> yeah. it's And that's another problem that you have as a, as a young teacher is that a lot of times, whether or not it might be a bitter colleague <laughs> or um, some students um, that because they look at you and you're young, they're like, oh, does he really know what he's talking about? And then a lot of times you'll just spat some wisdom and they'll go, oh, <laughs> oh, he does. Okay, you did not mess with him. So there just you go. as a young teacher, have yourself prepared. That's another tip is mm-hmm. don't walk into being a teacher not being prepared, especially if you're young because – 
it won't help you in the slightest if you're not prepared. Yeah, especially if you're working in a high school, I would say, right? Yes. Yeah. In elementary school, it's a lot more easy, mm-hmm. I would say for sure. Like even I would say right after grade eight, like once you actually get into like grade nine and up, that's where it gets a little bit more tough. Yes. But yes. I like my friends in grade one and two. And if I ever decide to go back to, you know, teaching elementary school, I will be totally happy there as well. I'm happy anywhere I am. Just being with students makes me happy. That's that's a good thing to hear. Yeah, right? We're in it. We do it for the students. You got to agree. You do it for, you know, being in Florence, Italy and all that jazz. But you also do it for the students, right? I go into why I do it. But the students are a big one. I <laughs> lie if I cried more than once at their graduation. I wouldn't I wouldn't lie about yeah. that. Oh, that's so sweet. Do you feel like teachers college prepared you well? I know that we kind of touched upon this in the episode um like I said a decade ago it feels like now, but we talked about <clears throat> teachers college and you know what we can bring from our university experience into the real world. So I was just wondering what you brought a value with you from Sudbury to Italy. Sweet baby Jesus. Um, So touching first on the teacher's college, I think the Laurentian teacher's college is very top notch. Yes. Uh, They prep you for a lot of things. Um, A lot of things that you didn't think you would need. Um, but then especially with all the placements that you do, because I remember we talked about this in your last podcast where you only did a certain number of placements where mm-hmm. honor we did these, these extensive placements. There was one every year. We did these long ones that put us in different situations. And it was just, just thrown at us and we had to deal with those situations. So that really prepped me for being, especially I think we talked about that one, I had one rambunctious grade 10 history group that were very um they're like the the rugrats of the school and all the <laughs> teachers were like oh my god i don't want to teach them because they'll just rip me alive and i was thrown into having to teach these kids and that taught me how to um classroom management and all that not just, stuff. yes mainly classroom management but it was a lot of uh, prepping my, my my emotional skin for it kind of thing Ooh. Like, ready for it mm-hmm. um, so now I like I think we talked. Did we? Did I, I I'm pretty sure I told you the story of one day the students put me to a certain level that I I gave them extra work that I would have to do later, and I usually yeah. don't do that if I'm that mad. But they got me to that point, and that was the first place I went. It wasn't to yell at them, even though I gave them a very stern lecturing. Instead of yelling at them, I gave them extra work. <laughs> so it was that, that sort of prepped me because that's what those kids would have not liked if they were acting up I would threaten I will give you extra work if you want it kind of thing and that would like calm them down so that's the first place my mind goes now is that you anger me it comes up with extra work even though I have to mark that extra work it's extra learning right you just want the best for them more learning you but sometimes like reading 100 pages of Leviathan is not is not <laughs> extra learning it's extra work so <laughs> I'm just trying to, uh, what do you call that? I'm like buttering it up or something, making it sound better than it is. Yeah, I don't butter up anything in my classroom. That's that's for sure. We don't butter it up. 
You get what you get. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, especially when you like when you teach a history course, you can't butter things up. Like especially history, economics, all the social studies that I teach, you can't butter up the content. Uh, you can't like make mm-hmm. it sweeter. You can't. You just have to give it to them the way it is. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's a lot of my learning style. A lot of my teaching style too is just like, this is what it is, kids. This is. <laughs> You do something bad, I have extra work, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What was the question? I forget. Uh, just things from teachers' college that you thought were really effective that you brought into your teaching abroad. Uh, so yeah, I, I guess that's the main one is is prepping me with those placements, mm-hmm. uh, and then I guess. Also, from I guess from my university experiences, all the the work I did with clubs and a lot of work I did with like the student union. So I run all the I run the student council at the school. I run all the like the, the engagement things that happen at the school. So that gives me another. I guess that's another thing that I got from it. I think a bird just hit my window. Oh my <laughs> you hear that? Oh that? That was a huge yeah. You heard that? Oh my! Yeah. I can see. The- my little recorder thing. Oh my god, that's scared. <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> that's okay. This is gold. Now I'm wondering where were we? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you're asking me the questions. I'm just gonna. <laughs> that's okay. Okay. Um, what was, I guess, you could say like the biggest learning curve? Because I. Like everyone knows, I've said a million times, I start in September and you can only like your first year only happens once, right? So what was the biggest learning curve in your first year teaching? Like for me, I think it's going to be, well, obviously teaching the history class because that's not my like specialty area whatsoever. But for you, like having taught classes that you're really passionate about was there something that was maybe a little more difficult what content or not it could have been could be anything um that you found that you really had to like adapt to in your first year that something maybe a challenge that came up that you didn't necessarily expect um I think there was two the first one was um international trips or just trips in general with bunches of students mm-hmm. um because especially where we look, we're located, it's very cheap to travel. And so part of the Blythe value system is experiential learning. So going on trips a lot. So with my school, since November, I went to, with the students, uh, Berlin, Amsterdam, um, Barcelona, and a few cities around Florence. So, um, yeah, it was, um, it was a very big learning curve in learning um, how to have these international trips constantly. Cause usually when you're in um, a regular high school kind of thing, your international trip, especially if you're in Canada, your international trip is once every one or two years and you're prepping for it for a very long time. For us, it was two weeks. Let's go kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it was, that, that was a little terrifying. Um, I remember when we were in Berlin, 
our travel agent had made a mistake and booked our flight wrong. And so she had to rebook our flights so that we could all get home. There was three teachers. There was myself, Talia, my, my twin, and um, Gary, our headmaster, and a whole bunch of students. And so what happened was to get us back, this flight attendant, flight attendant, flight travel agent had to book new flights for us for the day that we were supposed to come back. And so what happened was two different flights were booked. On one flight was Gary and Talia and four kids. Then there was me by myself and 17 other kids. Ooh. <laughs> two different flights, two different times. Um, and trying to, it was, that was my, like my, my freak out moment of like, I got to get these 17 kids to the airport on time Ooh. to catch a flight on time by myself and, and get us all home. And, uh, and especially not even like flying into Florence where the bus can pick us up. We had to fly into Pisa, which is an hour away by train. So I had to get them off the plane onto trains on time to get us back before midnight kind of thing. So it was, that was terrifying. And then it's sort of like, it was sort of like a baptism by fire. Get you, get you ready to go. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's where I started developing my rules of travel with Mr. Am. There's like, one is don't get lost. <laughs> Two is like, don't stress me out more than I'm already stressed out. Um, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. If you watch my shows, especially I do my like my travel Insta stories, whether or not yes. I'm with my with my students, we do like educational travel Insta stories of like this is this place. Let's talk about this place. Let's, I feel like I'm a um, an international YouTuber while I do it, but I'm not. I'm just a teacher. Um, so you get to see some of the rules that pop in and out of those Insta stories. Um, yeah. And you can, how is, you can... how is social media seen in your school? Like teachers having social media and the only teacher that has social media. So it's no. a different. <laughs> okay. Well, there goes that. In our school. So it's, um, I'm very open with my social media. So all the students know you can follow me after you graduate. While you're at my school, you're blocked kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I have my teacher Twitter, so they can follow me on my teacher Twitter and do whatever and ask questions on the, on the stuff that we post about. Now um, would be a great time, Daniel, to, to plug your teacher Twitter for anybody looking to follow you. At Mr. Melchior. So at M-R-M-E-L-C-H-I-O-R. If anyone wants to follow me. Love, 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 love. If and anyone wants to follow my Instagram, I'm doing another plug, Sarah. Don't don't do oh. this. I'm uh, <laughs> the king because you know I have a big ego. Um, to oh. see all the travel adventures while you're there. That's my favorite. And I, how long do you think you're gonna be in Florence for? I would like to say that um, I you don't know. Leave? Usually, my answer is I don't know. Um, how long would you like to be in Florence for? At least five years. At least. Okay. So it's a little bit of time. Um, I'm just trying to plan my own travels, like, to go see you. <laughs> yeah. uh, my, my apartment's big enough for anyone to come visit. Um, just I send me a love I'll see what I have to do. Uh, <laughs> what is your school year like? Is it the same here in Canada? 
It's not, and that's what I was getting to with the, my other biggest oh, yes. thing I had. To- you had two. Okay, go. Um, go. Well, so in Canada, in especially in Ontario, our um, our school system is set up into terms, right? Not terms, semesters. So you have two semesters, four classes, especially in high school. You have four classes per semester. You study, and yeah. Um, in my school, we're set up into terms. Um, and that allows, and every Blythe school is like this. So each school year is set up into four terms. A student in a Blythe Toronto can say, I'm going to go to Florence for a term and then come back. And it wouldn't interrupt their schooling at all because that's the way all the schools work. Um, so that means every term I teach, there would be two periods for Ontario courses. Um so instead of teaching my regular course over a semester, I have to teach it in two and a half months in condensed in three hour periods a day. It's a little intense. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I had to get over was not just being able to like condense the information in a, in a way that they don't get bored with me every day, but also time managing my lessons and I guess my course to be able to fit that sort of system, yeah. especially with, and we talked about it with grade 20, with grade 10 history or any history, like world war two in grade 10, usually we take minimum two weeks, maybe three weeks to teach world war two. I can't afford to do that. And we, we talk about it at our school and our te- all the teachers say this to the students. If a student misses, Technically, in regular Ontario terms, you're missing one day at our school is missing three days in Ontario. Wow. Right? So it's it's like don't don't miss a day or try to stay on top of things because as, as soon as you're behind one day, you're behind technically three days in regular terms. That's you know unreal. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, so instead of teaching World War II in three weeks – that's only one week for me. And I have to be able to get all of World War II done in a week and not have them bored with me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was one big learning curve that I had to get over. And do you feel as though you've succeeded? Like you're going into year two a lot more confident, right? No, not at all. That's, that's still... Because <laughs> it's, it's still a lot of figuring it out of how do I... Yes. Because as a history teacher, I want to get all my content in, right? Yeah. So because you I have those standardized tests too, right? That's what you were you were telling well, me before. The it's different because IGCSE lasts the is usually two years. That's usually the program. So in an IGCSE school, a student in grade nine would start, and they would write their test at the end of grade ten. At our school, we do it over a year, but I can handle it because the history course is not that extensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the Ontario courses, it's just, I, it's a lot, especially with the courses that are coming up. It's like, how do I get all of it in there? Especially if you have to do readings or writing an essay, you have to teach them how to write an essay, how to research, how to cite properly, how to format an essay properly, how to give yourself an argument within your essay in two and a half months. I remember it took me two years to figure it out completely. And so... It, um, yeah, that's one of the big learning curves. Yeah. Well, we learn as we go and 
as I'm going into my first year, a lot of people are telling me that it's not going to be perfect. So I'm sure that your first year wasn't perfect and that, you know, as we move on to our second year, it's not going to be perfect. And we're just kind of like scaffolding our own learning as we go and learning from our mistakes. So I've been saying this whole time, like prepping my courses because I'm prepping for when I get back, um, especially for my, my European course, my European history since the 15th century. I've done the course once. I have all my PowerPoints. I have all the stuff there. Now I just get to tweak it and just mm-hmm. continue. Every year you tweak it a little bit more. And if there's new information that comes up or something different that you want to put in there, you just tweak it a little bit more kind of thing, which is one upside to being a teacher is that you have that already on your belt kind of thing that you can just like fix it a little bit and you you don't have to do as much work. When you first teach the course once, that's when all the work really comes in because you have to build that course. But afterwards you just fine tune it until it's absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. exciting. Well, I am just like overloaded with all the information that you've provided me and the listeners today. And I think that what you're doing is really inspiring. I think that you won't say, I think the kids love you. I love you. I love what you have to say. I love following your, your stories. I encourage anyone to go and follow Daniel. It's just like, it's always an adventure. It's always fun. I'm always learning something new. And I just thank you for taking the time to share with me and, you know, on the podcast, your experience and your passion for what you do every day. So thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, just follow me on my things and you get to see my adventure. And Sarah, I'm giving you a task. Yeah. This is your task. Here we go. I am going to attempt that every day of this school year, I will post about what I did in my classroom, in my different classes. Um, so if there's a day that I miss, just like, hi, Daniel, um, what's going on here? Uh, I, I can it. handle it. Thank you. Because heck knows there's going to be a lot of stuff that goes on during the school year that I'm just going to go, ah, oops. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I made, I made this promise. At the beginning of last school year, oh. you look at my Twitter feed. I didn't post one day. <laughs> oh no! I think okay. I posted one day. I think one day we talked about Twitter using Twitter as a history tool. I think that was the one day. I so. love that. Yeah, that was a great post. Notice on the actual board, it's my Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah, using Twitter as a history tool is amazing. Like you go follow. That's me. one of my. That's one of go follow me, kids. Um, one of the things that I do is is I give them like a blank Twitter profile, or they can make them make one on their own online somehow. Um, and I give them historical figures, like one of these historical figures. Give them a bio. Follow the people that you have. They should be following, kind of thing, like mm-hmm. within the same time. You're following someone that's dead. That, that doesn't fly with me, kids. Um, and then make tweets that talk about a certain event in their Point way. View, yeah, yeah. In the economics course, I make them do it with a different econo- economist. It's okay if they're dead, if they're not. Big but I give them an economic, something happens. So like um, the, well, uh, the, the crash we had a few years ago in 2010, um, I give them that, like, here you go. It's crashing. It's crashing, but you, as the economist that I've given you, comment on it with their ideas. 
Mm, you know what I mean? That's so, so awesome. Get yourself in the in the shoes of that economist, and that's a lot of how I teach. Is that I teach a lot with empathy. I teach a lot with put yourself in the shoes of who we're talking about, and I understand what they're talking about. You know what I mean? And the biggest one. Um, this is becoming a very long podcast. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. It's okay. I know it's great. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, so the biggest empathy one is when when I do. So during the IGCSE course, they have certain key chapters that they have to study. And that's the main curriculum, basically. But at the end of this, this curriculum that they have, they have depth studies. So they have different topics that usually students just choose one and they study it on their own. But in our class, because of language barriers and all that, we study it. We, we choose one, we study it together. And usually because of my background, we, we study um, Germany and the rise of Hitler. Um, and the biggest empathy question I give is after we talk about all the stuff that Hitler promised, I ask them, if you were a German during this time, understanding what's happening to your family, economic depression, all this, would you vote for Hitler? Mm-hmm. And I have students that go, yes, I would. And then we have a discussion and that empathy question, we have a discussion, why did you vote for Hitler? And then they talk about the economic depression that's going on. Um, the war guilt clause that we have in the Treaty of Versailles, all these different things that build up. And that's why I would vote for Hitler. I wouldn't vote for him today, but I would have voted for him if I was a German at that time. And that's a big, powerful tool. And using empathy in your classroom is the biggest tool you'll ever use, especially in history. Amen. I love it. And I'm going to seal all of it. And I'm going to tell you how it goes. And I'm going to reach out for you for more help. And I just thank you for being there. Thank you for having great ideas. And thank you for willing to share them. If anyone has any like questions or wants advice, feel free to DM me. I love it. That's what teaching is all about. Sharing is caring, right? Sharing, Sharing is caring. Sharing is caring another coffee oh my god <laughs> i've done mine too well that Ooh. that ends it for uh coffee with what did i call it at the beginning of the podcast coffee with sarah and daniel our coffees are done so so is the <laughs> podcast look at that look at that <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. thanks for tuning in to another episode of Kesara Sara. i look forward to continuing to learn from one another so what did you think of this episode Let me know by leaving me a comment in SoundCloud or sending me a tweet to at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Lalonde, L-A-L-O-N-D-E-E. And you can also subscribe to my podcast on iTunes under Kesara Sara. And hey, did you know that Kesara Sara is a proud member of the Voiced Radio Network? Check them out at voiced.ca.